This is Andrew. And this is Chelsea. Welcome to Hugging and Learning, the podcast where we re-watch the very special episodes of television that we loved as kids and see what they have to say to us as adults. Today we're watching uh, What's Happening with two exclamation points. The episode title is Do Be or Not To Be, <laughs> parts one and two. This was season two, episodes 16 and 17, and they premiered on January 28th and February 4th of 1978. This episode was written by Sally Wade. Both parts. Both um, parts. Unfortunately, you can't watch these episodes anywhere online. We are at an advantage. We live in Los Angeles where we can go down to the Paley Center uh, in Beverly Hills and watch basically anything that's ever aired on TV. So we have that advantage. If you're in LA, you have that advantage. But unfortunately, except for some pirated clips that occasionally pop up on YouTube, you can't write exactly some bootleg clips that pop up on YouTube from time to time uh, and then seem to be swiftly taken down. You can't watch what's happening anywhere on the internet for free. Not for free on the internet. You can, of course, always make an investment in the What's Happening DVD collection. (laughs) The Criterion Collection. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Absolutely. It's got got a Robert Altman uh, interview (laughs) on there where he talks about how that inspired his life. Uh, Yes. So much. So today, our snack of the day is Ocho Organic Candy Bar Coconut Flavor. This is coconut covered in dark chocolate. I'm very excited to try this. I feel just okay about it. All right, let's go. That's pretty good. Yeah, that's delicious. That's just what I wanted. I'm on my period, which is not taboo and not gross to talk about. It's just a fact of life, and that's exactly what I wanted, and it's delicious. It's like a Mounds candy bar if Mounds had anything real in it. Yeah. I really like coconut. I know people are divided on it, but um, I'm a big fan. Same. Okay, so Ocho, thumbs up. Ocho, way to go. <laughs> Full of cocoa. Where'd snack? Not Ocho Cocoa. Let's um. get into this goddamn episode. <laughs> so first things first, a, a bit about the uh, series, what's happening, was based on and inspired by the movie Cooley High. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's always a credit that says that in the episode. It's uh, it's like inspired by the American film Cooley High. It's mm. an odd, odd thing, but... More importantly, the writer of this is Sally Wade. It's really nice to see a female writer in 1978. Yeah, um, for sure. Also, this Sally Wade was George Carlin's wife. Really? Yeah. Amazing. There's so much. I Just now that makes me think of that couple as amazing. There's so much witty back and forth in this episode. Yeah. I'm like, they must have had a great time yeah, together. That's awesome. I love that. Yeah, the show ran for three seasons between 1976 and 1979. And then there was a sequel series called What's Happening Now with only one exclamation point. What? They dropped an exclamation point. No. That ran from 1985 to 1988. So... This show is set in the Watts neighborhood of South L.A., which is a working-class black community. Uh So the show 
takes place, starts the first season, 1976, which there were very famously the Watts riots in August of 1965. So this is just 11 years after the Watts riots that the first season of the show airs. And after the Watts riots, which were racially motivated, they were against what the African-Americans in the community felt like was targeting and profiling by white police officers. The Watts neighborhood after the riots, there were a lot of gangs in the 70s. There was a lot of violence in the neighborhood. And the show is set sort of right in the middle of all of that, really interestingly. It is. I mean, this is a very different show than you're going to find. I mean, obviously there is Good Times, which is Chicago's sort of heavier version of this, but it's still nice to see a a predominantly black show dealing with inner city issues, Mm -hmm. dealing with like teenage issues issues, but also teenage issues if you are living in this specific area right. at this specific time. And how it's different if you're a teenager and you live in Watts than if you're a teenager and you live in a nice suburban enclave where yes. you're, you know, or base, you go to Bayside High or something. Or if you go to Bayside High specifically. <laughs> right, which is also in Los Angeles, but just or I, I somewhere in California. I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> um, um, so this episode, Doobie or Not Doobie, these oh two episodes, is the top rated episode of the show on IMDb. Oh, really? Yeah. That's amazing. Yep. I, you know what? It's the only one that I can ever remember, so that, that pans out for me. Yeah. I had never seen this show before. It went off the air before I was born, but mm. I had familiarity with all of the characters, but then I had this weird thing where I, I thought that Rerun and Fat Albert were the same person, because um, I did watch Fat Albert and the Cosby Kids, Sure, and, I, and they both wear berets. Does Fat Albert wear a beret? Doesn't he? I don't know. One of his friends, Rudy, wears a beret. Oh, I conflated these two things in my mind where that's I was like, okay. I know, that character's Albert. And they were like, that's rerun. And I was like, oh, Wait, I don't know what so this is. So you're not up to speed on shows that happened when you were negative two years old? No. Well, I have not gone back and watched them. Maybe do better. Maybe they'll <laughs> maybe put them on the internet better. for free and then I can watch them. Yeah. yeah. Miles is holding up a picture. Sound producer, coordinator. Audio record engineer. Record button pusher. Yeah, there's Fat Albert, who does look like a rerun, but then his friend Rudy, who's the stylish one, has Where's a the beret? beret of a of sort. Okay, so I was all over the place with That's this. That's all right. Okay, so it, uh, anyway, I've never seen the show, but the theme song leads me to believe that these guys are three best friends. They all live in the same neighborhood, right. and they solve their problems together, and they hang out. Exactly, and you've got the nerdy Roger, the hip but kind of dumb Dwayne, whose catchphrase is, hey, hey, hey. Um, And then Rerun, who's the fat character who does funny dances. The end. Is he fat? Because they didn't make a joke about his weight every other sentence. He's Uh, definitely made fun of constantly. Continuously. Okay, so this. Yeah, so this episode, Doobie or Not Doobie, we've set up the ordinary world a little bit. Uh, these are three teens. They live in the Watts neighborhood. They give low fives. Something, they hitchhike in the last part of the They sure theme do. Song. That's not a big deal. Uh, there are girls in the theme uh, song, but they seem less important. They don't really come up hardly at all. Also worth noting about this ordinary world, it also is an ordinary world where the Doobie Brothers are the best band that ever existed. Yeah, and and this is real interesting, and we'll talk a little bit about this later on. All the teens are into them. All the African-American teens are into the Doobie Brothers. Because, you know, Doobie Brothers. So the Doobie Brothers, they they advertised this episode before it aired a ton. Yeah. They were like, everybody watch this show. It's going to be so great, and it's going to be about... 
they said straight up in the ads, it's going to be about bootlegging. Like this is going to be about pirating concerts. Right. The whole thing was set up as a publicity stunt. This whole thing was the brainchild of the band's publicist at the time, David Guest. Yes, M- Mr. Liza Minnelli. Mr. Liza Minnelli. Uh huh. It was his idea. So in case you were wondering if it was that the producers of the show were super worried about bootlegging, this was an idea the band came up with. Is it? Yep. Or David Guest. Uh, we'll, you know, oh, David this came Guest from did. the band's camp. Yeah. Not from fine. the TV show's camp. I have a hard time. All right, let's let's get into it because second one of this episode is the the Doobie Brothers already playing. Like we don't get we don't fade in all the way before it's like there's a Doobie Brothers song. Right. Dwayne has put the Doobie Brothers on the jukebox of their soda shop and he and Roger sit down and dance to it. And they're so busy chair dancing that they don't see Shirley standing right in front of them trying to take their order. Yeah. And Shirley comments, "Where's Rerun?" So this is the ordinary world. We hang out, we're teenagers, we love music and we're always all three together. So where's Rerun? Exactly. Is a big question. It's a good call. Also, we're introduced pretty quickly when Dwayne dances by uh, some nefarious characters. Yeah, some local toughs. So in special episodes, <clears throat> very often, in order to introduce the problem or the thing that has to be dealt with, we have what's called a snake character. And that's that's because there's so very often somebody called Snake. <laughs> it's like, hey, it's Snake. He's got drugs for us. Or, hey, it's Snake. He wants us to bootleg a concert. Right. This is the form of a man named Al Dunbar. Mm-hmm. who has somewhere, I couldn't count them, he has somewhere between four and 87 gold chains <laughs> hanging around his neck of various widths and lengths. He's got a sharp sharp, sharp suit, uh, wide lapels. <laughs> is it sharp? Yeah, it is. It's the color of... A, it's an, burnt umber. It's the color of a peach that you need to throw away, <laughs> is what it is. And he's got what I like to call, he's got Bruno, a, a muscular dude. Yep. But it's 78, so muscular means he's pretty fat. Um, <laughs> dude who I like to call the assistant snake character, <laughs> or the assistant to the snake character. We'll call him Worm. Um, so, uh, yeah, reruns, Rerun is getting them tickets to the Doobie Brothers concert that is happening in their high school auditorium. What? We find out later that the Doobie Brothers are supposedly all alumni of sure. this school, and they're doing this concert for charity to buy new band instruments, okay. which, fine, like that, I mean, that holds water, well, whatever. Look, it's 1978, Dwayne literally says, do you believe the Doobie Brothers are playing a concert at our school? To which I say, no, I don't believe that. I don't believe that for a hot second. Uh, I don't believe they're alumni. This is this is paper thin, this premise. Uh, yeah, but at least the high school is in LA and not the middle of like Iowa that's or something. True. No, that's fair. So it's, you know, whatever. It's I, not it's it's on the edge of being a Doobie Brothers, what are you doing here? Yeah. Kind of a thing. But, which uh, you stranger never things want. stranger things have happened in this premise. That's, so no, that's very well, fair. and stranger things will happen in this episode. Boy, so boy. let's just go with the idea that the Doobie Brothers <clears throat> are alumni, the band needs new instruments, and they're playing this concert in the school auditorium. And they put rerun in charge of getting them tickets yeah. to this 25-row auditorium. Right. Sure. Shirley's already got her tickets. Rerun comes in. Uh, he got hungry and went to a hamburger stand. And by the time <laughs> by the time he got back, the concert was sold out. Are we, are we to believe that he ate so many hamburgers that he was in the burger shop for hours and yes. hours? And the God. boys immediately... And so it's... And then he takes some fries out of his pocket. So... Ugh. 
having never really seen an episode of this show, it is already very apparent that Rerun's weight and how much he eats is going to be a constant source He's of comedy. He's a complete clown in um, this. He's known for like being fat, and he's also known for doing this like popping and locking dance routine oh, that good. drives the audience wild. But it's it's just that. It's a real Chris Farley, hey, look at that fat guy go kind of a thing, yeah. which is disheartening in these modern times. Um, also, then they also lump in, oh, by the way, he's stupid too. Right. So then we very cleanly set up that the ordinary world is sick in this way. So we already know that the boys do everything together. The theme song tells us that. Mm-hmm. Shirley asks, where's Rerun? But because Rerun failed to get tickets, Raj says, I think I can get a press pass since I work for the school paper. Yep. Dwayne says, my dad's a councilman. Maybe he can help us. And Rerun doesn't have a backup plan. Sure. So they leave him there. So now the group is severed. Rerun's been and cut they, out of the group. In fact, say... If you want to take it too bad, you can just listen to him on the jukebox. Yeah. Now the ordinary world is sick. Rerun has to do something to heal this rift. And that's the journey he's going to go on as it's set up now is that he's got to do something to get them all back into this. He has to doobie something to get them back into this. That's going to happen throughout this episode. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not our fault. They started it. Seriously. And if you're not into that, please turn off this episode (laughs) now. It's not going to get any better. Fortunately or unfortunately, Al Dunbar and Brother Bruno have overheard this whole conversation at the next table. And as soon as Rerun is alone, they come over to chat with him. Yeah. And what they do is through a very convoluted story, Al Dunbar is like, I'm going to give you these front row tickets and I want you to record the concert. I work with the band, but I can't do it myself because then they'd be too distracted by their good friend, Al Dunbar. But also, you can't let anybody know because the Doobie Brothers would be shy if they knew yeah. somebody was recording them. They're performers who perform for a living, but if they know they're being uh, recorded, they just shut down. Also, performers who record albums for a right. living. So right. I'm assuming those are just silent and awkward mumbling. So, Taking it to the streets. Yeah, right. So Rerun, Rerun is a little bit suspicious, but then Al Dunbar quickly allays his fears, sure. and he readily accepts all of this as plausible. Plus $4. And, and Yeah, and I actually, because of course, because I'm me, Four dollars. I looked it up. Yeah. Has the buying power of fifteen dollars and eighty-eight cents in two thousand eighteen. So it's not too bad. He gives him a little bit less than sixteen dollars. Um, Still, which he calls a sound man's pay for the day. Reruns on board. Right, He's, but this is the call to adventure in terms sure. of the hero's journey. The ordinary world where we do everything together is sick. Now we have this call to adventure. If you do that, he's got three tickets, not just one for himself. He's got three. So if he can pull he can off this recording this. thing, if he can doobie this, then all three of them can go to the concert front row. He redeems himself. The Absolutely. gang's all back together. Sure. So speaking of the gang, the next scene starts and we're at Raj's house where Dwayne is trying to convince his father to get them tickets. I don't know what kind of sway a councilman has, but then again, this is a high school concert, so maybe it evens out. Either way, the dad doesn't know who the Doobie Brothers are. The dad also doesn't know what a rock group is. is that, oh, that's true. Because then because then Dwayne says, oh, it's kind of like an orchestra. So not only does, dad, does his dad not know who the Doobie Brothers are, which is fair, he yeah. doesn't know what a rock group is either. We never, we never do, I don't think, in the series, visit Dwayne's house. It's disheartening to know that it's under a rock. <laughs> so Raj wants to call the Doobie Brothers themselves. Sure. Yeah, great. And get an interview. And here we have some classic D sass. D is his younger sister, mm-hmm. and she is a straight-faced, deadpan, 
sass machine. Yeah, she's got some great zingers. She holds the phone hostage for a quarter is what it's it amounts always her to. Thing is, is I, I'm, I'm, I'll do it for a quarter. Right. So so he gives her a quarter. He calls the hotel. He's, he says he'll speak to any doobie who do be in. And right. then he laughs at his no, own I'm joke. Sorry, Chelsea, you got to wait for our podcast audience to laugh for a while. Okay, sorry. All right, it should be dying down now. Um, he laughs at his own joke, which is a thing that happens a lot in this show. Yeah. People make jokes and then laugh at them, and the laugh track is doubling up on that. It's it, it always. I don't know that it's good or bad. It just always. I always catch I, it. You know, it's it's slightly better than a character saying a funny line and then everybody freezing and staring at each other while the laugh track goes crazy. Yeah, I guess. But everyone they laugh so the laughter feels so forced. Anyway. Oh, and this is this is also a very clap heavy audience. We'll get into that in a second. I will say the D has too much class to laugh at that bullshit and does not laugh at that joke. Um, and then he gets through miraculously and says, I be Roger Thomas, which do be you be, which is the biggest catchphrase of the show, which do be you be. And in fact, in an interview with the band's founding member, Patrick Simmons, that was done 40 years after the episode aired uh, by mm-hmm. Yahoo entertainment, which you can find online. I'll include the link in the description. He says that he still gets greeted with which do be you be. He says all the time. I always laugh. That that's one of those things that when people forget what the hell the Doobie Brothers ever did musically, they'll remember that we were on What's Happening. Yeah, there's a, if, if you, we'll save you a, a Google search, there are actually 5,000 members of the Doobie Brothers. <laughs> um, and good luck remembering any of them except for Yeah, Michael. and which ones were there at a given time. But Patrick Simmons, the founding member, is the only consistent Doobie through all of its incarnations. The most consistent Doobie? Yep. Wow. He be the most consistent. No! <laughs> Doobie. Cut that, cut that out. So, Roger secures an interview somehow. Roger's mom, who's played by Mabel King, comes downstairs and says, Roger, I'm going shopping. You have to watch Dean. Roger says, but I'm doing an interview. And Dee says, then I'm going with you. And then Dwayne and Rerun just invite themselves and they all go. Yeah. And we cross the first threshold. We see the Doobie Brothers for the first time. We are now boys in Doobie land. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then uh, Rerun comes in and tells the crew that he got them front row tickets. Oh, that's true. Yes. And then they say how, and he's like, I got them from a stranger at the soda shop. And the only person skeptical of this is D. Yeah. And Everybody's I wrote, 100% into, oh, a grown man gave you free treats? <laughs> right. I wrote, hashtag Team D. I feel like, <laughs> I feel like D's going to make it to a oh, ripe old age. You know what I have written down here? Uh, D is a real Chelsea. <laughs> D speaks in tiny, careful, considerate, like a tiny, careful, considerate adult. She says, you three really deserve each other and shakes her head already world weary. She just like... Do you want me to repeat what I just said? That D is a real Chelsea? Because I got that impression right away. So next up, we're in the high school auditorium where a world famous band is doing a sound check. Yep. Sure. First of all, there's claps when the audience sees the doobies. The audience start a song, more clapping. This yep. audience is clap they crazy. love it. There's a, they're doing a sound check slash rehearsal of the song Echoes of Love, which goes on for about 90 seconds. Sure. I mean, it's it's fully half the song. Also worth noting, a gong is foreshadowed in the background. Mm-hmm. Rerun and Dwayne are doing some awesome choreographed synchronized air guitar during the sound check. Everybody's doing... All sorts of choreographed dancing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the kid and then the kids get fussed at for being loud and the rehearsal stops. Right. They try the the band tries to get back to rehearsing, but Dee shames them into giving Raj the interview. 
with some cutting lines, which she has addressed directly to the floor. This is <laughs> this is the thing that I this is why I bring up how articulate and how like deadpan and great her delivery is in the yeah. previous scene because I wonder if the actress Danielle Spencer, who was thirteen at the time, yeah, crazy. was actually nervous around the band or a little bit starstruck because I know she's a child, but like in this scene, she does not deliver a line to another human being. They're all pointed straight at the floor. And I think, and I'm a little bit charmed by it. It's nice. Yeah. Also, there seems to be, during their dancing, Dee is slack-faced and joyless. (laughs) And I've also noticed later on the episode, when one of the doobies compliments her and she starts to smile, they cut away. So I wonder if it isn't a thing where they're like, we can never see Dee smile. Yeah, it, that might be a thing too. I wonder about that. Um, I don't know. But she, Dee is not taking shit off a of doobie. She like uh-uh. gives them notes. <laughs> she gives them notes, another song, and this time a little more bass. Like she, she's giving notes and they think it's great and yeah. they all like are totally charmed by her. Yeah. They fall under her spell. She's not taking any doobies. <laughs> oh my God. They play Little Darlin' next for a couple minutes. The they dedicate it to D. Our little darling. Oh, they, the kids dance. Also, worth noting here, this is the first time we see Michael McDonald. If you don't know who Michael <laughs> McDonald is, think about your entire life right now. Because <laughs> he's the most amazing and weird singer. Also, if you didn't notice, Chelsea, Michael McDonald is wearing a Doobie Brothers t-shirt in this scene. In case you didn't know sure. which band he'd be in. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Every time I get Which band he do be in. Oh, I get so angry. <laughs> um, I, I wrote a note to myself. The hair on these men is just <laughs> astoundingly luxurious. They look like show ponies. Like <laughs> it's the most beautiful cascading waterfall of hair. Yes, there are some straight up manes up in this. Oh piece. my god, it is beautiful. Um, so, so now that they've stopped, Roger tries to do the interview, which is miserable. Yes. mostly because Dee's interrupting him, but also they say their names and he doesn't write a thing down. This is the thing. I know they have to do this for the audience, I guess, but Raj is the worst reporter slash fan ever. If he went into this interview not knowing the Christian names of anyone he's interviewing (laughs) before he gets there. Like, I know this is a pre-internet age, but you can find out the names of some of the people at least before you get there. If you love the doobies, you've probably got an album of theirs. You can look on the back. Just look on the back. Look on the back of it. Yeah. Although there's a great joke in here that I think is funny and funnier even in context of what we'll talk about a little bit later at the end of the episode. So there are six men on stage in this band. Five of them are white. One of them is black. Yeah. Dee walks over to the black guy whose name is Tyran, who's the bassist. And she says, Doobie Brothers, huh? What are you, a half brother? Which is... Solid joke. Pretty Absolutely great. solid And joke. also, like, I think clever or at least just common sense to acknowledge the fact that this is basically an all-white band playing Blue-Eyed Soul for an all-black school. Like, let's just go ahead and acknowledge that. Yeah. (laughs) The maybe second or third question that Roger asks in his interview is, what's your biggest problem? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And the band, you know, commiserates for about a half a second and says, bootlegging. Yep. No, it's not. No, it's not. Like any band from the 70s, your biggest problem is, oh no, we ran out of drugs. <laughs> they say bootlegging, and then they describe exactly what Rerun plans to do at the concert that night. Yeah, like uh, word for word. Well, so he's got no plausible deniability. He now knows what he's planning to do is illegal and mean and do be unapproved. Um, so you it's might not, say it's do be us. Do be us. So I think that this is great because now we know that it isn't that just 
reruns dumb and didn't know what he was doing was illegal. He's if he if he does this, then he's made a choice. Yeah. And D because she's been so sassy, they give her a free ticket because you know. Actually, Michael McDonald says, you can come as my guest. Also, it bears mentioning, we've got some real Doobie Brothers acting here. Oh, my God. People are doing their fucking best. <laughs> Quick question, Chelsea. Yeah. How many of these seven or eight members do you suppose are out of their minds high right now? 75%. I was going to say, my follow-up question is, is there a number higher than 100% that we can apply <laughs> here? Somebody's high um, enough for another person on this. <laughs> they cut to Rerun's face after they describe what bootlegging is. <laughs> yeah. And there is literally a Doobie Brother arm on each one of his shoulders. <laughs> it truly is. His face is very conflicted. <laughs> the Doobie um, Brothers have taken to the gang, by the way. But, They're like Yeah, but I'm my my note is they've just demonstrated they can give away free tickets. D gets one, so just ask him for three more sure. and then you don't have to bootleg. But he does because it's, it it's the episode. He has to do it. It's interesting now to hear a band talk about the big problems of bootlegging and how no one makes any money and in this age in 2018 where we just expect to hear whatever music for basically free whenever yeah, we want. It's very true, including numerous live albums from the Doobie Brothers. <laughs> Which, I don't know how they got those. Al Dunbar? Yeah, Al Dunbar. Well, he sounded very active. Uh, they describe him later. Oh, yeah. Um, so, so, yeah, next up we go to Raj's house again. Yes, where Rerun tells the boys what he's got him, oh, gotten himself into. Oh, hold on. First of all, Roger says, this article is going to be great. No, it's not. You can write anything it's going to be terrible. You're going to be like, I met the Doobie Brothers, whose names are something, and asked them <laughs> about something, and they said bootlegging. And then we did a choreographed dance at the end, and it's probably written in crayon. <laughs> it's just terrible. He's not a good reporter. I'm sorry, but I respect journalism too much <laughs> to let this go. Uh, after Re- Roger talks about <laughs> this article, which is going to be a bomb, yep. Rerun tells the guys what he's gotten himself into, and they all agree that he's in trouble, yeah. especially D. I think I need to point out that D is fully aware that this is all happening for later. I just want to point out that D is in the room yeah. uh, when she's they real, discuss this. She's real know it all, huh? Yeah. So they decide. Uh huh. So they decide they're going to go to the soda shop to confront the gangsters and try to back out of this arrangement. Right. In terms of the hero's journey, which we are just flying through because this plot is pretty thin. Yeah. We are approaching the inmost cave. So already, um, yeah. this isn't. You wouldn't consider this a refusal of the call. No. Okay. He had a chance to refuse the call when Al Dunbar gotcha. offered it to him, and he said, why don't you just do it? But now and he's already in too yeah, deep. Yeah, he's in too deep. So the boys go to the soda shop. The gangsters are having none of this backing out of no. the thing. It brings up what I call the HPP, the Harry Potter paradox, which is, I know why you feel you can't, but I promise this will all be over much sooner if you just tell an adult. Yeah. Tell an adult now. Tell a doobie. Tell a doobie. Tell your... Tell your nearest, most trusted doobie. If you see something, tell a doobie. I'm going to tell you, it ain't the drummer and it ain't the guitarist. Those guys (laughs) are whacked out. You know what? I'm going to say this across the board. If you're in trouble... Tell Michael McDonald about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Tell Michael McDonald. I'm gonna um, help you out a little bit. But this is actually in terms of the hero's journey. This is an interesting thing that happens because the bootleggers tell them that now that they all know about it, they're all in this together. Yeah. So this used to be just reruns problem. Now it's everyone's problem. This is lesser seen on a hero's journey. Usually the hero has to go it alone. Right. But it's strangely comforting because in the world of this show, the guys do best when they're in it together. That's the whole gist. So it does give us some hope, I think. A little bit. It's both good and bad because now everybody's involved in reruns mistake. But I think it gives us hope because they do better as a team when they're all in it together. 
Just saying everything. I've gotten to say they do be better. Oh, they do be better. So Al tells them that they can't back out and listens, uh, elicits some intimidation from his assistant snake character who pulls a stool out of the ground. Yeah. And they're like, "How? which buttons record? Yeah. And then we're um, on to it. And this is an excellent time to take an episode break because it is between approaching the inmost cave and the supreme ordeal, which is the climax. Yeah. And if you worry that the whole second episode is just going to be the climax, don't because because fully two-thirds of it is a Doobie Brothers concert. Oh, for sure. So that's the end of episode one. Audiences in 1978 have to wait a whole week to see what happens to the gang. And Yeah, but we won't make you wait that long. We'll just make you wait. And we're back for episode 17. Let's discuss this further. Doobie or not Doobie 2. Yes, so we come um, right back where we about where we left off. Yes. With the gang in the soda shop bathroom trying to strap this tape recorder to rerun. Yes. This is another great opportunity for some rerun is fat jokes. Mm. He's wearing a trench coat and the tape recorder is strapped to him using a belt and it is enormous. And I wondered if that was... Maybe the tape recorder? Yeah, the tape recorder. Here's what I have written down. Um, I tried to think of it's as big as a such and such. But really, it's as big as a tape recorder in the 70s. Yeah, and I looked it up, and like the stuff that people used to bootleg concerts was that size, or even bigger. Good lord. Um, well, that was just kind of how tape recorders were Yeah, they then. were enormous. Okay, here's... And I'm troubleshooting, right, sure. on yeah. behalf of them. I'm thinking, take the thing to the concert and then fake a malfunction. Sure. Or forget to turn it on, or keep your hand over the mic the whole time so the recording is unusual. I'm just trying to troubleshoot sure. this nonsense. Cut, cut the tape. That happens all the time. Tape snap. Yeah, there you, you go. You cut it, and it's like, well, like, there's, oh, I did the thing. I did the I recording tried. thing, but no. Uh, don't beat me I'm up. I'm rerun. So <laughs> rerun is also going to use this trench coat to sneak in food and drinks, which aren't allowed, because he says he doesn't want to break the law. Yeah. Laugh track. You know um, what? And for a penny, and for a pound. Could you also hand me a knife? <laughs> I intend to murder somebody while I'm on this crime spree. Which also proves that, beyond a shadow of a doubt, that the stakes are never too high to make fun of reruns being fat. You ain't kidding. Also, at some point, Al Dunbar bursts into the bathroom and says, that's too obvious. Let me help you. And like makes a grab at rerun. And it's like, no, Al Dunbar, this is not okay. Right. None of this is okay, but. We need this to be a a bootlegging episode, not a different special episode. (laughs) Right. Um, So cut to the the auditorium. The kids are in the The front row. The high school auditorium. Yeah. Kids are in the front row. international band is going to play. Yeah. Let me tell you already, there are, you can see there are going to be lasers and there's a great deal of haze already in the air. Also, that gong is still staring. Out with yeah. its one gong eye. This is a high school auditorium with a lo- very sophisticated setup. I'm thinking maybe Blue Oyster Cult stopped by last year and <laughs> did a charity concert for the drama club. We also used to go here. <laughs> every every greasy, hairy uh, 70s band also went there. Used to go here. Yeah. Well, I remember, remember Greg Allman. He was my friend here <laughs> yeah, right. as well. From chemistry class. He was great. Greggy. Yeah. So Old Greggy. <laughs> so we get to hear all of Blackwater performed, including yeah, instrumental breaks. Good Lord. Oh, here, I'm going to point something out. Because this is, I think it's a solid 12 to 13 minutes of just a concert. Mm -hmm. But here's the thing. I really feel like the Doobie Brothers are actually performing here. Like we are hearing their actual performance. I think they are too. And I'm going to back that up by saying I tried to Shazam these songs as they were playing them. And Shazam didn't know what they were. There you go. Which means that they weren't 
using the recorded version that Shazam is familiar with for whatever that's worth. So take um, that Miley's Cyrus and Justin's Bieber. <laughs> oh my God. The audience goes wild. Rerun does high kicks in the he audience. High kicks. <laughs> I'm so glad you brought that up. In his chair, he's just kick, kick, kick. Like he's not wearing a huge recorder. Um, <laughs> he's also eating constantly. Yeah. <laughs> Every doobie's hair do be doing great work up there. Oh my God. Their hair is doing great work. Do be beautiful. Um, we get his full second song, which is take, take me, me in, in your arms. arms. And this is where Rock we, me a little. we are, we are reminded that Michael McDonald is straight fire. <laughs> I actually got more into Jeff skunk Baxter because of his is that hair. The fucking guitarist. <laughs> the one that's been carrying a cane around. Is he? Yes. Yes. So right, he also was yell. a steely Dan. So then I looked him up and I just went down a rabbit hole. His oh. life is fascinating he owns 400 guitars guys look up jeff skunk baxter when you get a minute you will not be disappointed i watched his guitar solo three times in this episode yes yeah it's hard to take your eyes off of it without saying should i call someone for this epileptic fit here's a question is he a disabled person no why does he have a cane why is he sitting down the whole time because he's a pimp fair you know what (laughs) The 70s. I get it. I get it. No, no, you know what? That is going to work for me right now. (laughs) He's a pimp. Brains in his butt. So, Um, yes. So, so I wrote down that his guitar solo was my favorite part of this two-part episode so far. But then I immediately changed my opinion because we launched into a third song. And my favorite woman is actually the dude hitting the gong with a flaming mallet in a high school auditorium. It is fucking epic. I laughed. <laughs> hold on, hold on. First epic. of all, did you get the title of this song? No. Neither did I, because I wrote down what it was, which is an experimental space funk odyssey. <laughs> there are no lyrics. There's nothing. I tried to Shazam it. I tried to look it up. I could. I don't know what it is. It is totally just like a jam session. It's a straight doobie there, freak out. There are <laughs> there are two drum kits. There are two guitars. I think there was some light pyro. There's oh. no, there's wailing and gonging. And then they're like, you know what? We haven't seen that gang in a while. So then they start superimposing the gang's faces yep. over this action. And I couldn't laugh <laughs> it's hard amazing. enough. Dwayne is enjoying this so much. He looks constipated. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. D is dancing in a way that can only be described as disinterested. Actually, yeah. there's a mysterious open seat next to Raj in the front row the whole time. It's a sold out concert. Oh yeah. Raj is on the end. There's an empty seat next to him the entire time what's happening there what's happening oh no that's i can't imagine anyway whatever i don't know if they needed to put a camera guy there or what but uh, yeah that's probably it but there's a solid 10 to 15 minutes of music in this episode it's clear they only needed one episode for this plot but they had to make it too so they could have sure. a full-on concert yeah. and next up is their their last song taking it to the streets oh wait what's you up? skipped the rape joke Oh, there was a rape joke. Yeah. So in far and away the most troubling moment of this lighthearted episode, Patrick Simmons, who's acting as front man, says he learned a lot at this high school. He takes a break to address the audience between before the uh, ultimate song. Yeah. And he says, ultimate song. he says, I learned a lot at this high school, including he's listing things in phys ed. I learned how to wrestle a girl into the back seat of my car. I mean, he does like a little groucho. Yeah. Joke does not thing. age. Well, he doesn't uh, say, he doesn't say wrestle with a girl wrestle in the back Wrestle with a girl, seat. which is no. fine. No, wrestle, wrestle her a girl. into. Yeah. 
his her non-consent is implied. Yeah. Fucking rape culture. It just it even affects the doobies. It's know. hilarious. You and this episode like is written doobies. by a woman. Yeah, I just, that too. I I don't even know what to That's say about it. Fine, it the joke the joke doesn't age well, guys. If if she's saying no, if you have to wrestle, it's rape. Sorry. Yeah. So I'm. The, we're, the, I just didn't. I couldn't let that not come up in no, our that's discussion. that's totally fair. I just completely blocked it out. Then the uh, drummer says, but seriously, guys, high school is a great place to experience things. Stay in school. Stick with it. Yeah, <laughs> stay in school. I'm sorry. Uh, Can we take that again? I gave that way too much <laughs> Way too much oomph. And then my favorite guy, Skunk, invites them all to dance. If you Everybody. like dancing, go ahead. Uh, I'm going to wiggle about sporadically myself. <laughs> and then Michael McDonald's, McDonald's sweet, sweet voice. Which is amazing, by the way. Oh, my God. (laughs) Okay, so everyone gets up and starts dancing, which causes the tape recorder to fall quietly from the wrench jacket and hit the floor. And even though it makes almost no noise and doesn't break or anything, the the crowd goes completely (laughs) silent. The entire crowd goes silent, and every doobie dubiously looks at him. Boy, oh, boy. It just... Every doobie do see Oh, my God. And you know what I was thinking, just as a point, a a craft point, D is for sure the trickster archetype in this okay. episode, if yeah. not every episode. She just wants to cause mischief and compel change and watch the world burn. Mm. Like that is her whole thing. She is the Joker of this episode. I wish that she had bumped into rerun, even on purpose or on accident, <sighs> to make that happen. Great. Because to be fair, it's uh, do to be, be fair. fair. Um, <laughs> <laughs> let's both say jinx and then stop talking forever. <laughs> um, so do be fair. Uh, um, Rerun isn't dancing when this happens. The song's over, and Rerun is literally jumping up and down. Yes. He's forcefully jumping up and down. And yeah, you're right. The people in the back row shut up when this happens. The people 25 rows away are like, uh-oh, that sounded like what might have been a tape recorder falling, but if it was louder. Right, if it made any noise. And all the doobies see it, even though they're blinded by lights. Yep. And then and then we we hold on rerun who dies inside. Oh god, he's just so sad. <laughs> he just, he's so sad. Spirit leaves his body. And then um, we cut to the doobies confronting the gang. And there's the line from what's his name? Patrick Simmons. Patrick Simmons says, I thought you were our friend. Yeah, noted date rapist, Patrick Simmons. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like you crossed too many boundaries I here. I thought in the you gang. guys were our friends, which no famous adult would ever say to some kid they just met, but every kid wishes his famous adult hero would say to him. Why didn't you why didn't you get our consent first, guys? That's not right. <laughs> right, right. Oh, the hypocrisy. Or as Mental Floss puts it, in this great article that I read that I'll uh, put the link to, the band, who are so upstanding that they name themselves after an illegal drug, proceed to lecture the youngsters on morality and righteousness. Yeah. Again. In case you don't know what a doobie is or why they name themselves that, apparently the name was suggested by their next door neighbor who was like, you guys are always smoking pot. Why don't you call yourself the Doobie Brothers? And they thought, we'll do that for our first couple of gigs until we think of something better. And then it stuck. And then they were too high to think of something better. (laughs) (laughs) So Rerun explains what has happened. There is a moment where it's like, am I going to be in trouble? And they're like, yeah, you're probably in trouble. And then somebody's like, wait a second. Was this guy's name Al Dunbar? Okay, but to back it up, yeah. Dee is sitting on stage with the doobies. Oh, yeah. She's not in trouble. She fully knew about this. This is why I want to point this out. Dee was sitting in the room. Dee's a 
13 year old kid dude I don't know she could have said she could have said something to an adult she but said, she's sitting she on stage with say, the doobies like she's part of the moral majority here that gets to lecture the boys I mean I feel like she does she has pointed out that it was ridiculous that somebody gave them tickets and that nobody saw anything wrong with it and she's done her Doobie diligence. No, mm-mm. Mm. they the boys try their their weird laughing at themselves thing here to try to get out of this, but the Doobie brothers are not amused, and I'm no. glad someone finally put a stop to that. Yeah, um, finally. And reruns. They might have also said, "Hey, stop choreographed dancing as well. It's horrible." Right. And rerun says, "Are we going to jail?" And some Doobie, I'm tired of looking at their names at this point. <laughs> says, "How would I know? What would you do if you were in our shoes?" I don't. I don't know. I'm assuming do a bunch of drugs and see how long I can (laughs) grow my hair. But then somehow the Dewey brothers know that it must be Dunbar who's coerced the boys. They say, was it Al Dunbar? And uh, apparently he's been doing this at concerts all across the country. And he says, and and they say, hey, instead of, uh, we're not going to turn you into the cops. Instead, why don't you go and make the drop? Give him the tape. Yes. And Dwayne says, can we call the Police, maybe we're kids and they're gangsters. And Simmons says they're going to meet out justice, Doobie style. He doesn't say that. So yeah, the Doobies have a plan. The first one is send three children to a gangster. Yeah, that's the whole plan, actually. Oh, that's um, it. <laughs> yeah, that's basically the entire thing. Well, that's that's as much as they tell the kids. There's two. Steps. So there are definitely consequences here. Not really a reward yet in terms of the hero's journey. We've we've come through the ordeal, which was rerun making the wrong choice. Yeah. But now the reward i don't it's this is not it's very thin but uh, the consequences are that they get caught and they have to go face this gangster so yeah. now we're in act three of the hero's journey return to the ordinary world this is what's known as the road back which we don't often get where mm. the hero is pursued by dark forces that were stirred up by seizing the sword i don't, I don't feel like we get all the way back no. but you know we start we start on it so, so. I mean, if we're going to see this through for the sake of being <laughs> thorough, sure. Rerun has failed in his quest to tape the show, which is actually good because he didn't really want him to succeed at that quest. But he seems to have succeeded in his quest to reunite his friend group, which is good. That They're is all fair. back together. They're problem solving. And uh, in this instance, when they go to the soda shop and run into Al Dunbar. Yes. And Al Dunbar is the shadow archetype, but he's still in their midst and needs to be driven from the world sure. so we can return to stasis. I like that the fact that the gang is like, all right, we have to go confront Al Dunbar and delay for a little bit. Hey, let's be as annoying as is humanly possible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's do what we do best, which is be annoying teenagers. And boy, they're great at it. Oh, Lord have mercy. Um, Shirley, there's a bit with Shirley and Dunbar before they get there where Shirley Shirley gives him full, full sass, which is great. We love That's that. Amazing. We love Shirley. Mm. And then uh, they are trying to, Dunbar and Brother Bruno are trying to get, the, get out of Dodge as fast as they can. And the boys are just... Keep keep delaying and telling them about the concert and dancing until the Doobie Justice Squad shows up with a cop. Well, I'd like to point out that the Doobies have done what they said they would do, and they have taken it to the streets. Oh, yeah. They're coming through every door that Al Dunbar <laughs> tries to leave. A it's a great sight, Zag. It's amazing because there are so many of them that they <laughs> they could do this, where he tries to go out the front door, and there's doobies. He tries to go out the kitchen, there's doobies. He tries to go through a door, which was previously a bathroom, but now there's doobies. Yeah. Well, the bathroom, so they've, what, repelled into the building somehow, <laughs> or come up through the sewer. <laughs> there are superheroes that can transform themselves can into form of pot smoke. <laughs> form of 
too much hair. <laughs> Form of weird facial hair. Amazing, perfect hair in all ways. Okay. Form of Michael. So McDonald's. cool. So the bad guys are going to jail, and then they listen to the tape, and it's just rerun eating popcorn, rerun, yeah. and the boy singing "Fly Me to the Moon." So the tape wasn't even a good tape anyway. Somehow. I went back in time and gave that advice and they followed it to just they sabotage did. the tape. But you um, know, accidentally sabotage it. And that's the end it. of the episode. And Andy, you might be wondering how the doobies actually felt about bootlegging. Well, hold on. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to wrap this one up real quick. The actual end of the episode is two people who are not associated with anything putting a Doobie Brothers song on the jukebox while the fucking band <laughs> is five feet away. Like at best... They like the Doobie Brothers, but have no idea what they look like. At worst, they're like, you know what the Doobie Brothers would love? Doobie Brothers. I went <laughs> I went once in New York to see a production of a Chuck Me play uh-huh. uh, at Signature Theater where they put the face of the playwright on the front of the program. Yeah. I saw a person take a picture of the front of her program. She was sitting directly behind Chuck Me. Oh, boy. I want it to be like, if you walk around to the front of your row, you'll see the person whose face you just took a picture of. So you might be wondering how the actual Doobie Brothers felt about bootlegging. Yep. And I'll refer back to that Yahoo interview that Patrick Simmons gave. He said... In real life, the doobies were more laissez-faire about the supposed bootlegging crisis of the 1970s. Or high as shit. <laughs> it was a concern at that time, Simmons shrugs. <laughs> Some bands didn't care. With bands like the Grateful Dead, that was part of their shtick. We actually didn't care much about it either. We'd had plenty of bootlegs of stuff. I don't really think you cared about it too much unless it sounded shitty. But remember, at that time in New York City, you could walk into a video store and buy a videotape of a movie that had come out the day before in theaters. People would go into movie theaters with cameras and a video and video a film. So there was an awareness that it was going on. We felt it was a relevant subject. But this is this is the thing that's interesting to me, and I'll refer back to the "What are you a half brother?" comment. Sure. Simmons concedes that their "What's Happening" episode did little to actually stop rampant bootlegging. <laughs> it probably gave step by step instructions on how you <laughs> right. could do it. But recalls people did come up to me and say, "God, I never really thought about it before. It's a pretty terrible thing for people to steal your performance, trying to make money off of it." But these days, of course, people tape entire shows. Blah blah blah. More seriously. It also was a cultural connection that the Doobies made as a bunch of middle-class white guys doing a show with a mostly African-American cast. That was the ultimate great socially cool statement. Simmons is proud that many white Doobie fans tuned into What's Happening for the first time because of the group's appearance. And that regular What's Happening viewers, most of whom were black, may have turned on the Doobies music as a result. And it's uh, the last song that they played, Taken Into the Streets, is a song by Michael McDonald that's about... Uh, uh, the Watch Riots. It's about uh, inner city turmoil. It's an interesting intersection between the doobies and the black community. Yeah. Which is strange, but we got there. Yeah, and and Simmons says, what the show... Uh, but doing that show for me was a joy in that regard to be building what I thought was a bridge at a time in television where those situation comedies were bridges between cultures. The music that was happening during that time period was disco and a lot of people waking up to the fact that great music didn't have any color. So in terms of a very special episode that's meant to keep you from bootlegging concerts, I don't know that it's a great success, but in terms of a bunch of white people tuning into a primarily black cast sitcom and a bunch of maybe black people getting into the Doobie Brothers, then it seems like it was successful. And I think that it also serves as a a reference tool for the Doobies so that they can watch it and understand who, in fact, is in their band. 
Mm-hmm. Like they can actually point out <laughs> members because uh-huh. I'm pretty sure at least one of the dudes on that stage is just some guy who got on the wrong bus one time and now he's playing bongos now he's every playing night. playing the gong. He's like, <laughs> he's like, I got a mallet and a lighter. What am I going to do? How am I going to blend in? And now he's a, he's considered a founding member. So who did you, uh, who did you, what did you learn first? What did you learn this episode? Oh, man, I don't know. I don't know what I learned. I, I guess I learned what the doobies look like and I I guess I learned that they figure when they're going to do a performance for a bunch of high school students they're like let's definitely do a song that was 100% inspired by all the drugs in the world yeah great I and learned- light a mallet on fire which you should not encourage kids to do I learned a lot about Jeff Skunk Baxter you sure did Um, not through the episode directly but Mm-mm. In in just looking up people's names to try to write my notes, I I ended up being super fascinated by it. you guys. Look him up; it's incredible. Um, I also just, learned that this show has its own Facebook group. Yes, shout out. Um, which has about eight hundred fifty five members. When I checked last, it says uh, it's called that episode of What's Happening where <laughs> rerun bootlegs the Doobie Brothers. So if any of you guys are listening, if have found us, then a uh, uh, big Doobie hello to you. So who did who be did we want to hug who in this episode? Who did we want to hug? I mean, I feel like rerun is getting shit on by everybody all the time. It is man, I, I still feel like I like to hug Michael McDonald and say, "Hey, you're ahead of your time, man. You're an artist in 1978 who's playing like an artist from 1979." Um, but also rerun, yeah. yeah. All right. Um, <laughs> like, like the depressing, well, that's it, I guess. Well, that I was what's happening. That was what's happening. That was what, what happened. <laughs> that do be what happened. <laughs> All right, so that's the end of the episode. Chelsea and I need to get busy taking it to the streets and discussing it further. So uh, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time. Bring snacks. Bye. Thank you for listening to Hugging and Learning. You can visit us online at huggingandlearning.com or send us an email at huggingandlearningpodcast at gmail.com. Subscribe. Tell your friends about us. You can rate and review. Tell us about your experiences with the things we talked about today. Or suggest what episode you'd like us to do next. Thanks for listening. Our audio engineer is Miles Pulaski and our theme music is by Miles Pulaski. I'm Chelsea. I'm Andrew. See you next time. Bring snacks. Bye. Bye.